I should have realized that, wait a second, this isn't working. But being the 22-year-old knucklehead that I was at the time, I was stubborn. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Brendan Kamarasamy. Brendan, are you ready to join the mission? Absolutely, Andrew. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on, and let me introduce you to the audience. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. Brendan, take a moment and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Absolutely, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So for me, you know, the unique value that we provide is I bring simplicity, practicality, and generosity to the communication space. When I started in my field, I thought communication, information in general, wasn't that practical? You know, we hear advice like, hey, you know, imagine everyone in their underwear or, you know, just be yourself. Whereas me, you know, with Master Talk, our goal is really how do we make communication free? That's for the YouTube channel and different workshops that we give for free. Mm. And when you think about, you know, it, it's quite a claim to say, okay, I'm going to help you get in the top 1% until you realize most people don't work that hard to improve themselves. And then you start realizing that, yeah, if I find somebody that can guide me and I put in the hard yards of really, you know, practicing and getting, you know, opportunities to communicate that I can get up there. And so I'm just curious, you know, tell us maybe a case study of one or two of your clients or the type of thing that you're doing so we can understand kind of like how, how do you get someone to that point? Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. And, and you pretty much nailed the head, the nail on the head there, which is, hey, if you want to be the 1% of anything, you eventually have to do what 99% of people aren't willing to do. And it turns out you don't have to do that much to differentiate yourself from most people. So in our case, how that works is a three-part strategy presentation mastery, leadership mastery, and relationship building mastery. So the first part is saying, hey, we're making a lot of basic mistakes in our communication that we need to fix. Ums and ahs. We don't, you look at the camera lens correctly. Our eye contact is all over the place. Our pacing, our vocal tones is too monotone. So it's fixing that. The second part is leadership mastery. What are the other areas of communication that we don't think about as leaders, which is how do you guess on a podcast really effective? How do you answer questions in a boardroom? How do you give feedback to people in a way that's inspiring, not just informational? So it's about the day-to-day -day comms. And then the third piece is relationship building. When you're smiling in a presentation, when you're learning how to pause, are you applying those concepts when you're meeting people for a coffee, when you're meeting the CEO of this account, when you're meeting this person, so that you build a relationship and a rapport with them so you can either increase your impact or increase your sales or better both? So that's the approach we take. So presentation, leadership, relationship. Get your presentation, you know, fix the, the low-hanging fruit that you've talked about on presentation then think about how you are representing yourself as a leader 
and then developing relationships. You know, when I was thinking about, when I was a young guy, I came out of university, I didn't feel very confident. And as a result, whenever I saw some training or something like that, I tended to do it. And the big one for me was CFA and to become a chartered financial analyst. And then I also taught finance because I realized like I'd learned so much. So I've been teaching finance now for 30 years and I've learned so much. And then I did my MBA and then I had an opportunity in 2016 to do my PhD in finance. And so I had been also was the president of CFA society in Thailand. So not only was I a leader in, you know, I had the skills of a CFA charter holder, but I also had the relationships and the ability to lead that I demonstrated. And then I topped it off with a PhD in finance that I got when I was 50. So I really think that I'm probably in the 1%, you know, in my industry. I don't, I don't know how you'd measure that, but I, I'm fearless when it comes to the finance topics, even the ones that I didn't, I'm not an expert in, I can still get around in them, but I'm fearless about, you know, talking to anybody about finance and, and all that stuff. But still, I probably could do a lot better to make, you know, I'm trying to reach a million people through my podcast. I'm trying to bring my business and all of what I'm doing out to a wider world. So on the one hand, I've done the the work. I've done a lot of work to become an expert in the field. If someone like me came to you and said, help me to really make a bigger impact in the world, what would be, maybe just give the, the listeners some ideas about the types of things that you would do to help in that case? Absolutely. So, of course, Andrew, we both know. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, funny enough. I, I thought I was going to be an accountant my whole life. That's how my life started. So, I can definitely relate. So, what I will say is the advice that I give you is very different than the industry that you represent. Because in the communication field for accounting and finance, you're definitely in the 0.1% because it doesn't take that much to, to compete. You're probably the most charismatic finance professional in the world, honestly. But for the average, let's say, CFO, finance executive who's done really well in their career, but they're really horrible at communication, generally speaking, you probably know this being the president of CFA Thailand yourself, is we really walk them through a systematic approach to master communication. That's the difference. So I'll give an example of what that looks like. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, Andrew. One of those balls is eye contact. One of those balls is smiling. One of them is body language. One of them is knowing how to tell stories. And it can get really confusing for people. So the question now becomes, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? So the first one is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like soapbox, books, shelves, light bulbs, and create random presentations out of thin air. This serves two main purposes, Andrew. The first one is it allows you to think on your feet quickly. We're all in situations where we're dealing with uncertainty. Somebody asks us something and we're going, oh, I don't really know how to answer that. And the other piece is if we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. So it's exercises like this where we can tangibly measure the progress. And then we get to the other ones like the video messages, sending a few of those and answering questions through the question drill. Hmm. That sounds like a fun one. It kind of reminds me of, a, this, is a, this is very different, but a friend of mine and I have pretty good memories for lyrics. And basically any song that I've heard a couple of times, I can pretty much remember the lyrics of the song. So we drove in Thailand about four hours south to the beach. And what we did is we, we had a challenge and that is say a word 
and then sing a song that has that word in it, like moon, moon river, right? <laughs> so we had a lot of fun to try to, you know, improvise with that. But that sounds like a, a real good one to, to try to randomly, to pick a random word and then try to come up with something like, you know, let's take a word like collaboration. You know, why is this such an important word? Because it's the lack of collaboration that causes the collapse of businesses, of countries, of politicians. If you can't collaborate, then you can't bring together more than your own forces. But when you can collaborate, you can bring together the forces of many people. So there's an example on collaborate. How did I do? I mean, exceptional, Andrew. I, I've done so many interviews. You're the first one to not only ask me to do it. I mean, not even ask me. You actually picked your own word and you just did the exercise yourself, which I think is so powerful. That's that's a great example of how I want your audience to take this. And you demonstrated in space. Whether, and you did a great job. But even if you did a terrible job, you still win because mm. the key is to take action. Yeah. And that's something that most people miss. The best way to speak is to speak. You can listen to me and you talk all day, but if you want to get better at speaking, you actually got to book some time in mm. your calendar. And yeah. I'm not talking three hours. I'm talking five minutes mm. every single day to do the random word exercise, exactly as you demonstrated. Though what I will say, your audience won't be as good as you the first time around because you've had a lot of experience just in general speaking. But when you get started, the key is not to do it well, like Andrew did. The key is to just do it a lot. And when you do it a lot, you'll get really good really fast. Yeah, that's great. I think it's a lot of, a lot of good nuggets for the audience to think about how to improve yourself in this area. And really, it makes a huge difference to your life. A huge difference to your life. I just had a, a guy that I had met about six years ago. He was a potential client. I went to meet him when I was in Hong Kong and he was trading through us at the time. So, But I hadn't talked to him for a long time and he came back and he sent me a message that says, hey, would you be willing to do a video call? I just wanna ask you some questions about Thailand. And I got on a video call with him yesterday and I was, you know, smiling as I always do, because I learned that particularly in Thailand. And he said, you know, the thing I remember about that meeting with you was your positive energy and your smile. And then you were really focused on one particular part of investing that was like return on equity. And, you know, but he said, and you don't look a day older, you know, and I was like, I always tell people about presenting. I was like, forget about the words that you say. Five years from now, nobody will remember the words that you said in your presentation, but they will remember the energy that you bring. And I know I looked at your LinkedIn profile and just, just looking at for any, anybody out there, I'll have the links in the show notes, but you bring the energy. And that, that I think right there is part of what, you know, makes what you're doing powerful for people who really want to improve themselves in this area. So hats off to you. Hey, I really appreciate that, Andrew. And you're so right. And energy and passion at the end of the day is what gets you forward. There's a great quote on this from Lewis Howes, which is, the world will always make room for passionate people. As long as you're showing that energy, that enthusiasm, the world will always make room for you and what you want to showcase to the world. So ladies and gentlemen, there's a great learning right there is bring your passion. And you may not have it the first time you present and all that, you know, but just keep bringing it, just keep bringing it, you know? And I, one of the things I love about presenting as a professional is that we're not presenting on random topics. You know, when you're in school and stuff, it's like, okay, give a presentation on abortion. 
give a presentation on free speech, give a presentation on rural development. And it's like, ah, I got to learn all these things and present on things that, but once you get into business, what I love is that, you know, we're giving presentations on, you know, similar material. And so for everybody out there, present, present, present. That's what I would say from this introduction. And actually, I want to thank you for that because there's a lot of great value to the audience there. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. For sure, Andrew. So thankfully for me, my worst investment isn't a complete, complete, utter destruction of my life. So I'm still fairly young. So I still haven't made my biggest mistakes in life. But I'll give you one that's particularly annoying. So when I started Master Talk, I had a quote unquote, and I'm being sarcastic here, brilliant idea to send 50,000 cold emails to university professors in, let's say, Canada and the US. Because my thought was pretty strategic. Even if 10% or even 1% of them shared my videos with their college students, and they did that every year because the students change every semester, every year, my distribution would be unlimited and my YouTube channel would explode in popularity. And that makes sense, mm. right, when you think about it, in theory. So what I did, because I didn't know how automated email campaigns worked, and I still don't, to be honest. So I start my summer, day one, and I send 500 emails. And I'm not exaggerating the number. I would literally open websites of universities, pull up their faculties, find their emails, and I would start sending emails. And I find out a few days into this process, maybe two, 3,000 emails into it, so probably a week into it. That university professors, Andrew, really didn't want to hear from me. My goodness, I got so much hatred, it was insane. I remember one guy said, first of all, you don't call me my first name. And second of all, don't send me your garbage videos. And I was like, okay. So that thank was you. one. Because at this point, yeah, exactly. Thank you. At this point, it wasn't a business, right? It was just, I was just trying to share free videos for, for college students. So I didn't expect this. I was expecting, hey, I like your initiative. Here, let me help you. Because I wasn't selling anything. And then now, obviously, I have a service, but not back then. Mm. So then then somebody else said, your videos suck. You're too young. I don't think you can share information. I got a lot of hate from other communication professors. They're like, come on. What's your knowledge based on? But the reason it was my worst investment ever, Andrew, is because I didn't stop after 2000. I should have realized. <laughs> I should have realized that, wait a second. This isn't working. But being the 22-year-old <laughs> knucklehead that I was at the time... I was stubborn, mm. right? like every other kid is, and immature. So I was like, no, I'm going to send emails. So I spent the rest of that summer, Andrew, every single day, 500 emails a day for the next three months. Dedication. And I, I got dedication for one positive response, maybe oh two. My God. <laughs> and they were nice, positive responses. Yeah. But my God, what a waste of time. Whereas if I had done that with 50,000 podcasts as an example, but I didn't know what mm. that I could guest on podcasts back then. But if I had done that, it would have made way more sense. They want to hear from me. They're interested in new ideas. They mm. selfishly want to get better at communication because they want to yep. be better hosts. And they want to share that knowledge with the world. So yeah, I was stubborn and I made the mistake. <laughs> so how would, you, how would you summarize the lessons? Absolutely. So let's go through them. The first lesson is follow the data. Remove mm. emotion in the way that you make decisions as much as possible. You can't remove it fully, but try and remove some emotion in the way that you process decisions. So if I had realized that it wasn't right wrong for me to send emails, but it was wrong for me to send emails to the wrong audience, 
So I needed to really reassess and say, how do I make this different? That's the number one piece of advice that I have. The second piece of advice in entrepreneurship in general, and Ben Horowitz says this best, there's no silver bullet to entrepreneurship. It's mm. just hundreds of lead bullets. But what he means by that is hundreds of different little strategies, not like what I did, which is a thousand lead bullets in the wrong strategy. That's the wrong approach. But what I should have done is I should have split test across a hundred different types of people. So I should have sent emails to this person. And that's what I did later. And mm. now I know what my niche is and where I should be targeting for clients and things like that. But if I had done it from the beginning, I would have gotten that information ahead of time. Whereas entrepreneurs make the mistake of spending too much time in their minds. Oh, like I wonder who's going to buy from me. Oh, I wonder what my sales mm. process is going to be. When the truth is, is you just got to take a ton of action. You got to spray and pray because you just don't know anything. Like mm. what's going to work? And then later you find out in retrospect what worked and why. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe some of the, the takeaways. This first one is that there's great, the autobiography of the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, which he wrote in 1889 and right around there, just before he passed away. And he was the one who won the U.S. Civil War and also was a two-time president. He was an amazing guy. And he his writing is just fantastic. And he's just, he's all about verbs, but he had some general order that he gave to one of his generals. And he said, you know, disencumber yourself from your trains and feel the enemy do not engage. Well, this is a, like, when I first read it, I was like, feel the enemy. I didn't even understand what that means. And how is it that you're going to come upon the enemy and you're not going to engage? But what I learned is that the best generals with all of my reading that I've done on strategy in war, particularly U.S. Civil War, where I would say I'm an expert in that area, is that the best generals were constantly along the, the line, poking and prodding to try to find the weakness in the line because they knew they couldn't attack across the whole line. And I think that then what they were able to do when they found a breakthrough then they were able to rally their forces in that breakthrough and then break through the line. And that is really what made the best generals, I would say, the most successful. And so what you're talking about, kind of A-B testing and testing it across a lot of different things, is trying to figure out where am I making a breakthrough here? And if you only target one area and say, I'm going to do 50,000 in this area, you should be doing 500 in five different areas and then seeing and that's, you know, so much of what we learned from Lean Startup and from all the different guys, uh, Horowitz and the likes that are basically telling us to do that. So I think my biggest takeaway is that what you've said is feel the enemy. That's what I say. And the second part is that when you send an email, you know, it better damn well have some benefit to the listener, you know, to the receiver. And I would say that even when you think that you're providing benefit to them, you better read it out again. I print out every email before I send it. If I'm sending out to a group of people, I'll print it out. I'll sit down and I'll read it and then I'll revise it. And then I have a system where I send it out to two of my employees and as if they are the receiver. And then they come back with critiques that I didn't even think of. And wow. once I've done that, then I do a small scale you know, send out to see what the response is. And, and yet you're always going to get, and then what I learned is 
consistently follow up. I have one guy I got on this podcast and he got on and I said, you know, I just wanted to ask you, do you know how many follow-ups I did to get you on this podcast? And he says, no, I said, 17. I reached out to him 17 times to get him onto the podcast. And he's like- Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, exactly. He's (laughs) a a hard guy to get a hold of. But the point is, is that be relentless when you've got the right target because for many people, they're overloaded. And I say, just follow up. If you've got the right list, the right people, follow, and you're adding value, follow up, follow up, follow up until they either say yes or they say F off. So that's my takeaways. Anything you would add to, to what I've said? The only thing I'll add, Andrew, is you're a real-time general. Forget about the people you study. You're the real follow-up general. <laughs> so I love that. But you're, you're really pointing to, to the stark reality that if you want to be in the top 1% of any category, you need to behave in a way that 99% of people aren't willing to. Mm-hmm. And that's one example of that, you know, following up 17 times with a prospect. And I think my version of that, which is the the third piece, is, and it's going to be a little bit different with podcast guests, but just in general, when something starts working for you, like in my case, why, why mm-hmm. would podcast hosts having me on their show? I didn't even know why at the beginning, three years ago, mm-hmm. literally. Or uh, why is that specific client buying a service from me? Why are so many people like that person mm-hmm. buying? So instead of guessing why, ask them. Like literally sit them down for a coffee, have dinner and say, educate me, be my teacher. What do you think I can learn here? And they tell their whole life story and you're like, ah, now I see what's working. Mm-hmm. And then through that, we get the results that we're looking for. So what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. So two ways to keep in touch. And thanks for having me on the show. The first mm. one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second resource is I do a free communication training over Zoom every two weeks that's live and absolutely free. And mm. if you want to join that where I, I facilitate it myself, you can go to rockstarcommunicator.com and just register for the next one. Fantastic. And we'll have that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, so you can sign up and join. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is probably to scale the business. So now I've been able to, last year was like the year of survival, trying to figure Mm. it out. And now this year, the business is doing really well. So now it's about, okay, how do we scale this to another level so that I can create more impact? for everyone around me. That's exciting. That's a great phase to be in. And it's a challenge of a lifetime. And I was just talking to one of my students in one of my courses. And I said to him, to her, I said, if you, she wants to be a CFO. I said, how long is it going to take to become that? And she said, well, I would say about eight years. And then I said, what would it take to shorten that in half to four years? And then we started to discuss that, you know, and going through those kinds of exercises are ways that we can always think about scaling. So I'm excited to watch you scale. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of laws to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Brendan, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? 
my parting words, Andrew, is realize that the relationship that successful people have with failure is very different than the one that unsuccessful people have with failure. Successful people look at failure and say, I had 10 sales calls. I only closed one client. And wow, I'm so excited. My goodness, if I do 10 calls every day for the next year, I'll close 365 clients. <laughs> Whereas the unsuccessful person will go, nine people said no, so I might as well give up. Be on the right side of the winning strategy here. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.